Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with stage 4 endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Today we want to talk about endometriosis and relationships. The question is, how can we have strong relationships even though we have endometriosis? Mm. So this episode is really going to focus on romantic relationships, although I imagine a lot of things that we talk about could be applied to friendships or relationships between family members as well. Okay, Amy, I have a massive, huge secret for you. My big secret (laughs) is that relationships are really, really hard. Chronic illness or not, they're really difficult. That's my big secret. I bet you did not know that. You don't say. (laughs) I would never have known that. As a person who has been divorced twice, yes, (laughs) not once. (laughs) But twice. twice at 35 years old. <laughs> Actually, by the time I was 32, all that happened. Wow, look at you. I really, I honestly had no clue that relationships were really, really hard work. Like, no clue. Like, zero. Surprise! Oh, my God. You really <laughs> surprised me. <laughs> so, since you know that relationships can be very difficult. Since or, you just told or me. Or do you? I mean, yes. I don't know. <laughs> since you just Since I just informed yeah. you of the big secret. <laughs> oh, God. I want you to try to guess some of the reasons why relationships might break down or have some struggles in them. Ooh. Lack of communication. Oh, ding, ding, ding. You get 10 points. I know. That's the big one. They're like, communication <laughs> is the key to communication, success. Communication, communication. all things in life. Yes, that's a big 10 points you just got all for right. that one. What about... Well, one of my relationships broke up because we did not prioritize spending quality time together. Ding, ding, ding. You win another 10 points. I know. That's why I'm divorced <laughs> twice. I can tell you all the maybe, reasons. Maybe you're the advantage on this test and I should have taken it. <laughs> all right. Swapsies. <laughs> no, you got, you're got. you in it to win it. You got to finish. Okay. What's the next reason? All right. Let me think why else my relationships bombed. <laughs> all right. The next one. So I've been told that criticism... And resentment are some of the biggest wrecking balls of relationships. Oh, you want another 10 points. You're absolutely correct. Ooh, next one. What about not sharing similar values? Wow, you are on a roll. That is another 10 points. I'm just in awe of your ability to ace this quiz. Oh my God! Thank you, Brittany. You're trying to work on our relationships by giving me praise and not criticism. Thank you. Give me more praise. Okay, if you get the last one, I have a fun fact for you. And the last one is, in a relationship, we have to love unconditionally. Unconditionally love the person exactly as they are. And we can't go in there thinking, well, this person is like this, but I'm going to fix this person. Or my partner's not outgoing, but I'm going to make my partner be more outgoing. That's not going to happen. If your partner is a cat, 
then you have to love the cat. You can't turn the cat into a dog. Or a turtle or a bird. Okay, why would you ever want to turn a cat into one of those <laughs> inferior animals? I mean, I don't understand Turtles why anyone would want to turn a cat into a dog anyway. But, well, the people who are turn dogs, a dog okay. into a cat. Yeah, why would I you want to turn it into an inferior animal? I could see animal. turning a dog into a cat. I couldn't. But, see, the dog will always be a dog. So the people who want cats who have a dog will be chronically disappointed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so that is number five is that we have to accept the people that we are with for exactly who they are. And conversely, they need to accept us for exactly who we are. So whenever I start a relationship, I'm like, are you allergic to cats? And they're like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this is not going to Get out of here. This is not. This relationship is over. I'm a cat lady. Right. And when I say I that, left. I mean, I have cats. Also, I am a cat. Cat lady. <laughs> <laughs> this is an analogy for a very deep insight here. And they're like, um, I'm um, going to leave on my own volition now. This is over. I'm pretty <laughs> But that is the last one. You got a full 50%. Thank you. Yay. Now, ready for my fun fact? Yes. 50%, which is the score you received. Yay. Well, really, I got 100%. Yes, really, you got 100. But whatever. For the sake of my factoid, okay, I set this up. 50% is also the estimated divorce rate in the US, UK, and Australia. Oh, my gosh. So it wasn't a fun fact, but like... It's a fact, and it also is 50%. And, and they say something like 60% of all second marriages end in divorce. So oof. you see, I was right on target. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Statistics say. <laughs> Since my divorce is... Divorce is <laughs> Be honest with the group. Divorces. <laughs> I have been really interested in learning about what makes relationships work. And I have been reading a lot of really interesting books where they interview people, you know, very successful happy, satisfied couples. And they also interview people who have had divorces and they write these manuals for and guides for having a happy relationship. And it's been really fascinating. So personally, I want to work on my own divorce streak. But if you're more interested in more general relationship advice, there's so many books and even articles online written by marriage counselors and therapists and people who have been in successful relationships, married for 50 years happily. So the point is there's a lot of different resources out there. But today, we really want to focus on some of the things that we have been learning about having a successful relationship while also having endometriosis. Just keep in mind that we're not marriage counselors. They're just things that we've come up with and we wanted to share some of the different things that we've been learning. The very first thing that we want to say right off the bat is that having endometriosis does not doom your relationships. Oh, then what can I blame my divorces on? <laughs> I think you're going to have to go with you. I think I'm going to have to point the finger at myself. I think we're going to have to go with those five reasons. And uh, none of them were endometriosis. True, very true. <laughs> There are millions of people with endometriosis, not Amy, and other chronic <laughs> illnesses. <laughs> not true. <laughs> My relationship is very successful. Who have, there we go, successful, beautiful relationships. You've gotten there, okay. A limiting belief that you might have or that we've heard in the community is no one will love me because I have endometriosis. Or I'm a burden on my relationships because I have endometriosis. Because essentially those two phrases are saying that we can't have happy relationships. They're not possible for us to have sustainable, long-term, fulfilling relationships. And sometimes in these cases, 
repeating that to ourselves can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. You mean I repeat it so much I believe it and then I make it come true? Yes, that's the scary reality. Hold on. I'm rich. I'm rich. Okay, well. I'm so rich. <laughs> I am unbelievably, I am rolling in money. Quack, quack. Scrooge McDuck. Give me the money. Rolling. The money heist. La oh. Casa de Papel. <laughs> I will have the money. That's a good show. <laughs> now, how long do I have to wait till this self-fulfilling prophecy comes true? Okay, well, this self-fulfilling prophecy, I'm not sure about the timeline for money self-fulfilling prophecy, but for emotional self-fulfilling prophecies, it can be quicker than you expect. Well, the truth is the absolute truth, not these false self-limiting beliefs, but the actual truth is that we are all, every single one of us, all worthy of love, exactly as we are. <laughs> Make me cry, Rinny. It's the truth. Exactly as I am. Exactly as you are. What if I pick my nose at the dinner table? I mean, that's probably a manner that you could improve. <laughs> but if that's a character trait, personality trait, I guess I'll accept it exactly as it is, but also get some manners. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say it again, without being interrupted about picking your nose at the dinner table, that we are all worthy of love exactly as we are. Mm, even if we need surgeries and have to go to the doctor's office every month? Absolutely. Still, yes. Even if we need someone to help us get to the bathroom when we're in the middle of a raging, excruciatingly painful endo flare? Still worthy of love. Even if we sometimes have incontinence? Still worthy of love and a towel, but also still worthy of love. Incontinence on the back end? Still worthy of love may need a towel and some bleach, but still worthy of love. <laughs> Even if we're not able to have children. 100% still worthy of love. Oh my God, all those things applied to me. You're telling me I'm still worthy of love. Yes, you are. And I love you so much. <gasps> I love you too, Brittany. You're just so well-spoken and eloquent. And you really have this way of making me, and I think many of us, understand these truths about ourself is that, like you said, we really are worthy of love. And I know that I used to think that maybe I wasn't worthy of love, but I didn't phrase it in that way. Like I wasn't saying to myself, oh, I'm not worthy of love, but it was definitely a subconscious belief that permeated the way that I acted in relationships. And I think what I consciously believed at the time was that it just really wasn't easy to date me. Like, I was not an easy person to be in a relationship with. And I thought that because I'm not able to have biological children and I don't like cuddling. Like, in fact, I do not cuddle because of all the fibromyalgia pain from the inflammation from endometriosis. I don't want anyone to touch me. And I don't like to have sex because sex is painful. And I love routines and I am so rigid about my routines. I want to eat at the time I want to eat. I want to go to bed at the time I want to go to bed. And don't you dare get in my way because I will bite your head off. And I don't want to travel and I don't want to be spontaneous because all of that causes endoflares. So I just have always felt like I've come with three cargo planes of endo baggage and that all of those things would be a deal breaker. But after becoming friends with Brittany and just having Brittany fill my head with all these <laughs> beautiful, all these beautiful truths about who I really am at my essence, I realized that while, yes, all of those things are true that I just mentioned, they don't have to be a deal breaker. Why would they be a deal breaker when I am such 
a thoughtful and funny and insightful person who has so many qualities to bring to a relationship. And I think that's something that we need to ask ourselves. What are we really bringing to the relationship? Being in a relationship means that you're experiencing life with that person. You're experiencing the whole gamut of life. And that is ups, that is downs, that is difficulties, that is sadness, but that is also joy and happiness and so many things wrapped into that. Because you're experiencing life with that person, it's not about what you feel you can't bring to the table or what you may feel that your shortcomings are. It's about living through those things together with that person. And being with that person is a partnership. And there's strengths that every person has. And that's what's so beautiful about a relationship is that when you see each other's strengths, those are the really fun things that can help a relationship be vibrant and alive and to not focus on the things that you feel like may be missing. I think for me, it's been really vital to understand that I do have all of these strengths in spite of having endometriosis, in spite of all these things that I feel are quote unquote unlovable about me. I've had to learn that I am worthy of love. And I think going on this journey of self love, and self-acceptance, learning to love myself unconditionally and to fully love myself even though I can't cuddle and having sex is difficult and I'm so rigid with my routines and all of these things, blah, 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 that are quote-unquote wrong. But learning to love all of those things about myself and see myself as a full person, a person who is whole, no matter how many sets of beautifully embellished purple baggage... (laughs) by the way. (laughs) Of course, naturally. But by doing that, I ended up bringing a different energy to my relationships. And that's why the relationship that I've been in now for four years has been so strong and has been so different from my other relationships. Your divorce rate's going to go down. He's going to be a combo breaker. (laughs) The power of self-love. All right, Brittany, so you said that we are not doomed in a relationship if we have endometriosis. So my big slimy question for you. Ooh, slimy. Slimy. Oh, gosh. I'm not sure I want it. (laughs) I throw a toad at Brittany's face. Oh, my. My... How did you get a toad in here? (laughs) Because my cat played with a toad last night. It was on my mind. So you brought it to my house. (laughs) (laughs) And I threw it in your face for this question. So as Brittany picks slimy question, I get as it now. Brittany picks a toad off her face and holds it like a baby because you're cute. <laughs> oh, little Mimi. <laughs> My question is, why do some people break up with us when we get sick? And that could be endometriosis, that could be cancer, that could be another chronic illness. But why, why do some people, when their partners get sick, abandon them? That is a slimy question. Is it because we're doomed? No. Is it because endometriosis the is horrible answer isn't and it's impossible slimy. to have a really Mm-mm. good relationship when you have endometriosis? Nope. Oh, nope. The God. answer is unslimy. It's been cleaned. Oh, you ready for the answer? Oh, it's a shiny toad. <laughs> it's a golden toad. <laughs> so the unslimy answer is that trials and difficulties and illness like endometriosis can bring out the best and the worst in people. There are people in our lives who are going to stick with us no matter what happens, from getting incredibly sick to having surgeries, to having successes, to having failures. There are people in this world who will stick with the ones they love through anything. While there are some people who will stick with you through anything, like Brittany, (laughs) there are some people, unlike Brittany, (laughs) 
who turn tail and run at the first sign of trouble. Definitely nothing like Brittany. (laughs) Or like Amy. (laughs) Or like any of us, I'm sure. There's a phrase for people like this. You may have heard it. It's called fair weather friend or fair weather partner, meaning they stay with you when the weather is fair, when all everything is going well. But the second things get hard or the second things get challenging, they're out because they can't handle it themselves or they're not capable or they just aren't able to put in the work to maintain a relationship with that person. So fair weather friends are not good quality friends. Sneak peek. Sometimes these friends are people who are really close to us, like our best friends or our romantic partners. And when they do turn tail and run, it feels like they've abandoned us and we feel like it's our fault that they've left us. And it feels so painful because they were so close to us and now they're gone. And it feels like we must have been the worst possible people to cause somebody that was such a good love in our lives to leave. And that's not the case. It's not because we have endo or we have a chronic illness that they've left. That kind of reminds me of that phrase where when they break up and you're like, it's not you, it's me. Oh, common phrase. But I want to say in this case, it really is not you. It's not you for having endometriosis that they decided to end the relationship. It really is them. I think the really important thing to keep in mind is that in a relationship, it's not about if you are unlovable. Because as Brittany let us know, go ahead, Brittany. Cue Brittany. We are all worthy of love just as we are. When a person leaves a relationship because their partner now has gotten sick and they say things like, this isn't what I signed up for, what it really comes down is it's about that person's capability to love. Not everyone knows how to love unconditionally. So many of us did not grow up with unconditional love, and we've never experienced the power of unconditional love. I think a lot of us don't even know what unconditional love means. And I know in my own case, I only really began to understand that just a couple of years ago. The definition of unconditional love is to love something with no conditions, with no strings attached, with no attachment to the outcome, without trying to change the person or the thing, to just love the person exactly how they are without wanting or trying to change that person or put any kind of conditions on that person. Like, if you don't take out the garbage every week, then I'm not going to love you as much. That's conditional love. And so unconditional love is just loving that person no matter what, whether that garbage goes out to the dumpster or not. Your love for that person will be the same. And I myself only learned how to love unconditionally just a few years ago. I'd heard of unconditional love just the same way I'd heard of self-love and self-acceptance. They were just like concepts to me that were in self-help books. I was like, you should do this. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I roll. But now I can really feel unconditional love in my heart for my partner. And I can feel that my partner has that unconditional love for me. And I've never been in a relationship prior to this where we both had unconditional love. Wow, I really think your divorce rate's going to go down. Look at all the things you've learned. My divorce rate is going down to zero, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Third time's the charm. That's what they say, right? (laughs) If your partner decides to leave the relationship or end the relationship, 
while blaming it on the fact that you have a chronic illness like endometriosis, honestly, that's not a person that is worth having in your life. Now, I'm not saying that that means it won't hurt or it doesn't hurt or it shouldn't hurt because a person that you love and trust leaving you is extremely painful. But in the long run, having a person who's not prepared or have the capacity to love you unconditionally or support you as two partners support each other when things get tough, that's not a person that you want to spend your energy in supporting either. Life gets tough, chronic illness or not. So if they're not able to stick around while you're sick, that could open you to find somebody who is capable of unconditional love and is willing to stick around when things get tough. And having an equal partnership where both partners are prepared to support each other is so much more wonderful than being in a relationship where one person does not support the other person. Ooh, I've been in many a relationship where my partner did not support me. Oh, no. But I didn't realize that at the time because I didn't have unconditional love for myself. I just remember this one time with one of my long-term partners where he didn't believe that my pain was as bad as I said that it was. And this one time I had gotten my period and I was in the bathroom and I was throwing up from pain. And I had the door open in the bathroom and he walked by the bathroom and I asked him, hey, can you bring me a glass of water and my painkillers from the bedroom? And he said, you're fine. Go get it yourself. And then he went in the living room and watched TV. (laughs) He didn't support me at all in my illness. And that was just one time of many, many times that stand out in my mind. But looking back, you know, in that moment, I felt like I was so annoying and I was hurting the relationship. And why couldn't I just be better? And why couldn't I just be more in control of my body? And why couldn't I just be more perfect? And I had all of these conflicts of low self-esteem and low self-worth running through my mind. And what I didn't realize until after we had broken up is that actually I was not the burden on him. He was the burden on me. His disbelief became a burden on my shoulders. On top of dealing with my excruciatingly painful disease, I also felt that I had to constantly prove to him that I was really as sick as I said I was. And I think we all know how exhausting that is. So what I learned from that many, many years later, because I repeated the same mistake in the next relationship. Oopsie. Thank you. Oh, no. Spoiler alert. (laughs) But not in divorce number three. That's not happening. Whoa. (laughs) But not in long-term relationship number three that I'm currently in. Okay. (laughs) But now I know that if a person makes me feel guilty... And they weigh me down and they become a source of my worry because they don't believe me or because they're making me feel like a burden, then actually they are my burden. And that relationship probably has become toxic, at least to me. And here's the funny part. Funny haha or funny like, ooh, that's funny. Yeah, funny like cringe a little bit. I need to know if I need to laugh or cringe. (laughs) Thank you. The funny part is that with this partner that I just mentioned, like, I loved this partner so much. And at some point, like after like a year and a half, I realized that I didn't want to be with someone who rolled their eyes every time I asked the waitress if the food was gluten free 
or that when I said that I couldn't have sex because I was in a lot of pain, he made these comments that made me feel guilty. When I realized that I didn't want to be in a relationship with someone that didn't support me, it still took me over a full year to break off that relationship because of so many reasons. I didn't want to be alone. I was scared that if we broke up, that I would never be able to find anyone else because who would love me? Who would love a person with all of these health problems? Who? Oh, Brittany. I do. Partner does. Well, thank you, Brittany. I know that I'm worthy of love and I know that now, but I wish I had known that in my 20s. I know you're 10 years too late. (laughs) (laughs) And when I finally broke up with that partner, well, I rebounded into a new relationship that ended in marriage that then ended in divorce. So So what have we learned? (laughs) What I learned is that when I finally broke up with the second partner, (laughs) like 10 years later, total for the whole thing. What I learned is that when I finally broke up with these relationships that were toxic, toxic to me, maybe toxic to my partner as well, when I finally had the courage to be single, because I was so scared to be single, and when I finally had that courage to be single, it gave me the space and the freedom to figure out what I needed as a person. It gave me the space and the freedom to explore self-acceptance and self-love. And ultimately, I really think that that is what allowed me to figure out who I am. And by doing that, bring that energy to my new relationship and allow that new relationship to thrive. We are all worthy of a great partner. And there is a great partner out there waiting to find us. But they can't find us if we're in a bad relationship rotting away oh <laughs> like a apple that's been sitting out on the counter for two weeks oh my sweet yet rotten at the core <laughs> so it's just really important that we don't stay in bad relationships because we think that no one else will love us because as Brittany said cue Brittany, we are all worthy of love just as we are So if you're in a relationship right now and you're with a wonderful partner in a happy and healthy, sustainable relationship, then what are some of the important tips that we have for maintaining a healthy relationship? The first one is something that we mentioned in the beginning as one of the most common problems in relationships. What was that, Amy? Cats cannot be dogs. (laughs) Okay, still the fifth one. (laughs) Not about you being a cat. What was the first problem we mentioned that is very common in relationships? Meow. That was it. I was communicating. (laughs) It's communication and the cat was communicating. Clearly you weren't communicating well because I did not understand you. Oh, now I see how easily there's communication and miscommunication and why communication is so important. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. This is what I want. I want open communication. Okay. Honest communication. Okay. Perhaps even over communication. Okay. So when we say over communicate, we want to be clear that we don't mean over sharing. While your relationship perhaps has the ability to overshare, those two things aren't the same. So while you may be able to tell your best friend or maybe your partner, look at this giant golf ball sized blood clot that I just passed. Here, look at it. Want to see it? Here's a picture. I'm going to send it to you. You may not be able to do that with your partner or with some friends. 
I know in my own case, I overshare with Brittany. Mm -hmm. I overshare with Suki. Mm -hmm. She loves my clots. She loves anything shaped like a ball, really. I mean, that's fair. Okay. She's an animal. (laughs) But I don't overshare with my partner because he doesn't want to see my blood clots. I don't know why. I mean, they're pretty fascinating. I mean, I really don't understand why. (laughs) But But that's okay. Yeah, it's okay. And there's no shame in that because we still communicate very well. But I don't need to know every time that he passes gas, for example. Over-communicating and over-sharing aren't the same thing. All right, so if I'm not supposed to show my partner every blood clot that I have, for example, then what do you really mean by communicate openly and honestly and over-communicate and be a good communicator? Doesn't that involve blood clots? I mean, it might, but (laughs) that's not what we mean by over-communicate. What we mean by over-communicate is to not forget to share with your partner what's going on in your body, what's going on in your mind, with your feelings, with your pain, anything related to something that they can't know unless you tell them. For instance, if you're feeling a lot of pain in the moment and you see your partner come over for a hug and you'd still like to hug them, or maybe you wouldn't, communicating, I'm sorry I can't hug, I'm in pain, or I'm sorry I would need a very gentle hug, I'm in pain is a good way to avoid frustration or argument because you've prepared them, you've told them they won't know that you're in pain unless you tell them. And the partner still wants to engage with you and they still want to show you affection or love. And telling them how you're feeling allows them to do it on your terms. I know something that has really helped in my relationship is when I communicate if I'm having a bad day emotionally. There are times when I just come home from work and He's already at home and he sees me and he's like, oh, my God, hi, and I missed you. And I just tell him right away, like, I'm not okay. I need my space. And then I just go off and I sit in the closet where I like to hang out when I'm not feeling in a good place emotionally. And he respects that and he understands that I had a really tough day with my symptoms and then I just got home from work and then I'm feeling exhausted and then I'm feeling drained. And he understands that now because at the beginning, I had to keep communicating that to him so that he would understand that when I say I need my space, that's all that is what's going on for me. I had to really teach him through communication that I need my space means don't follow me in the closet. Don't ask me about my day. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to give me advice. And I think that can be really hard for the partner because your partner sees that You're not in a good place emotionally, and it hurts them to see you like that. And so they want to help bring you out of that bad place emotionally, or they want to give you advice, or they want to fix it. So for me, that's been really vital. And the other thing is sometimes I get home and I'm feeling really frustrated, and I'm feeling like I'm going to explode. And I'll let him know, do not come near me. I am really upset right now. And he knows, like, okay. Do not approach Amy at any cost because if I do, she's going to bite my head off. And so then if he does come near me and then I do bite his head off, it's like, well, I warned you, so you should have known that. But I never would bite Suki's head off. Like, okay, boyfriend, go away. Suki, come to mommy. We're going to (laughs) go hang out in the closet together and cry. (laughs) I think it really is important to communicate to your partner how you're feeling and what exactly that means. So When you say, I'm fine, I need my space, your partner knowing exactly what that means is really important, just like it's really important for us to know what our partner means when they say, I'm feeling really upset, I need a hug, or I need to be alone right now. 
actually knowing exactly what your partner means when they have those trigger phrases is so strengthening for a relationship because you know how to respect each other's boundaries, give each other what they need, and actually support each other in the way that the person wants support. And that's really integral to the bond of a relationship. I think honesty and communication is ultimately what it comes down to. Not holding back how we're feeling, both mentally and physically. I don't feel like you can ever overshare those kinds of things. For instance, if you're feeling like you're a burden in a specific moment, that is something useful to communicate to your partner. If you're grieving the loss of your identity due to endometriosis, share that with them. Share how you're feeling in an open and honest conversation. Because truth can make us vulnerable and truth can open us up. And telling our truth can help us to be seen and help us to feel listened to. The thing about having these open and honest conversations is it helps us to communicate with our partner to learn how they're feeling and also to share how we're feeling. Sometimes we have misconceptions saying, I feel I'm a burden to you because of XYZ. And our partner could say, none of those things would ever make me think that you're a burden. Those things don't even bother me at all. And clearing the air, clearing those misconceptions can totally change how we're feeling in the moment because when we keep them to ourselves, all we do is bottle them up and we're not able to have constructive and open conversations with our partner. Well, and then our sneaky mind lets those lies fester and the sneaky mind, the sneaky critic is like, you're a burden, you're a burden, you're a burden. It's a a whole barrel of rotten apples (laughs) at this point. And your partner's like, are you kidding me? You're not a burden at all. Then your inner critic's like, why did you tell him? Now we know that truth and now you're not going to listen to me. And you're like, ha. (laughs) (laughs) Now I know. (laughs) Yeah, all those misconceptions can build up into creating a barrier between you and your partner. And sharing these things helps you to be closer to each other. It doesn't distance you. Well, and I think that another thing is that when you share, like what you said about maybe you're grieving the loss of a certain part of your identity that was lost due to endometriosis. Maybe you always used to go out dancing with your partner every weekend, but now the fatigue is so bad that every weekend you two are just staying in. And maybe that's really hurting you and making you feel sad. And If you open up to your partner, your partner may be feeling in a similar way. And that is something that you two can work through together. And together you can find a new shared activity that brings both of you joy. Rather than one person feeling a certain way but not sharing it. When you feel your sadness alone, it's really isolating. And wouldn't it be a shame if you were alone feeling your sadness and maybe your partner is alone feeling their own sadness for what's happening to you, but they don't want to share it with you because they don't want to put that burden on you or they don't want to be misconceived and make you feel worse or make you feel like it's your fault when that's not what they're thinking. So just being able to take the time to be vulnerable with your partner and to just really be there for each other and listen to each other and share with each other these deep truths that we're feeling, it can really make a relationship rock solid. On the note of you and your partner being on the same page, it can be really, really helpful if your partner can fully understand endometriosis. And that might mean sharing this podcast with them and listening together. And then afterwards, 
talking about how wonderful Amy's cat is. And no, also talking about their own experience. Yes, yeah, yeah. And the value <laughs> that they got for themselves, blah, blah, blah. And how awesome Brittany's dog is. <laughs> See, I can do it too. Brittany never talks about her dog because. Because cat... I'm not obsessed with her. Whatever. Cat okay, pe- I'm just kidding. I'm obsessed with my cat. Dog. People are obsessed with their cats. Okay? You just talk about it more, but I'm just as obsessed with my dog. Trust me. <laughs> There are so many ways that together you and your partner can learn more about endometriosis. There are books about endometriosis. There are movies about endometriosis, like the movie Endo What, which you can find on endowhat.com, which I recently saw a screening of, and I thought it was a very informative movie, especially for someone who is not living with endometriosis. There are articles out there. Of course, be careful with the information that you find because we all know there's so much misinformation out there on the internet. And you can always bring your partner to the doctor with you on your doctor's appointments. Of course, again, being careful that depending on the doctor that you have, they might be knee-deep in misinformation about endometriosis or about how to treat it. Of course, always when you're going to share information with your partner, make sure that it's from a credible source because otherwise it can backfire in your face when if you're at the doctor and your doctor's like, well, really, periods aren't that painful. We know better. Shoot self in foot (laughs) and in partner's foot. So I know we've talked a lot about communication. So we're communicating a lot with you about communication. Oh, look at that. We're over communicating. (laughs) She's so clever. (laughs) Well, that wasn't my finest moment, but I'll take it. (laughs) But communication goes both ways. What we mean by that is that it's not all about you all the time. What? I know. I just broke Amy's heart. Oh, come on. (laughs) Wait a minute. Are you telling me that I actually have to, like, invest in my partner? Yes. You have to listen to their problems, uh, too. Oh, (laughs) jeez. Really? It's not all about you. (laughs) Why can't it just all be about me and my kitty? I know. I try to make it as much about you as possible, but you try to make it as much about me as possible. See, we have two-way communication. Well, that's because we're soulmates, but I'm talking more about, like, my partner. Everyone (laughs) else. Yeah. Who's listening? I love you. Te amo. She really does. (laughs) Okay, Brittany, fine, fine. I'll admit it is not all about me. You know, of course I knew that. In my previous relationships, but I wish I had like really known that because I think that really could have helped my previous divorce. I think that living with a person with chronic illness can also, of course, it can also be difficult for the healthy partner because, or for the partner that's not us, because they may not be healthy. Two people with chronic illnesses in the same household. Oh, no. <laughs> Maybe they'd get on really, really well. What a fun household. <laughs> they'd be like, now I'll help you shower your hair. Now you help me shower my hair. And then you both look at each other and laugh and you're like, <laughs> fatigue. We're going to bed. <laughs> Let's call a caretaker. That's never going to happen. <laughs> but I think for so long I was blind to the fact that my chronic illness was also challenging for my partner to live with because my partner was seeing me in pain. My partner was seeing me upset. And that's really hard on a partner to see the person that they love not be in a good place. I remember one time with one of my partners that he told me in a really beautiful, open moment of vulnerability where he was sharing his feelings with me, just like we talked about with the open communication. But I didn't realize that because I wasn't all 
wise like I am now with my two divorces. (laughs) All enlightened from your previous mistakes. (laughs) The divorce enlightenment. (laughs) To make a course. (laughs) That would be a great name for a course. The divorce enlightenment. Trademark that. (laughs) So I didn't have at that time my divorce enlightenment. And he opened up to me and he told me that my illness was making him feel drained. And I got really, really upset by that comment. And I completely denied the fact that he was having a hard time. And I was like, you're drained? Really? Really? You're going to talk to me about feeling drained? I'm the one who's in bed all day with fatigue. I'm the one who's vomiting from pain. I'm the one with nonstop diarrhea. You're drained. You're drained. (laughs) You're drained. Please. (laughs) Please with two syllables. Please. The drama. And needless to go, that conversation did not go very well due to my <laughs> due to my very incredulous reaction about <laughs> how tired could he actually be when I was the tired one and we all knew that I was the tired one in the relationship. So can you see how the way that I reacted in that conversation kind of brought about some strife in our relationship? What I didn't recognize, first of all, I was kind of mean. Maybe just a little. Well, tiny. Tiny bit. Maybe a lot See, tiny, teeny tiny bit. But second of all, I didn't see that because I was the one who was fatigued and in bed all day, he was the one who was doing all of the cooking and cleaning and grocery shopping and all the catering to my needs. Ding, ding. I have to go to the bathroom. Take me there. Ding, ding. I'm cold. Can you bring me a sweater? Ding, ding. I'm thirsty. Get me a glass of water. I didn't see all of the things that he was doing for me and for our relationship because I was just really focused on how horrible I was feeling. I think something that's really important to learn and to try to do is to separate the situation from yourself. So saying that endo is a burden or the tasks a person had to perform because you were unable to is a burden is fair. That is not at all saying that we are the burden or because we have endo, we are a burden. When we're having a flare and our partner has to do all the dishes instead of splitting it 50-50 like usual, it's okay for them to be tired and feel like it was a burden to do the dishes. They're not saying that you are a burden. They're saying it's just a burden to have to pick up slack. But we all have to pick up each other's slack in different ways at all different times through a relationship. No, your partner may be saying you're a burden. And if they're using the language you are a burden, then skedaddle. (laughs) (laughs) Then peace out. If we can say bye-bye to that relationship. Then we should. But in my case, my partner said that my illness made him feel drained. He didn't say that I made him feel drained. And yet that's how I interpreted what he said was that he meant that I was draining. And that's not what he meant at all. And that's why I reacted so, uh, would one say, poorly to the situation poorly ish (laughs) (laughs) as best as i could at the time with the tools that i had but that's why i reacted the way that i did because i misinterpreted what he was saying i want to tell a quick little story surprise surprise a boyfriend this is not one of my divorces this was one of the non-marriage material boyfriend. Okay. (laughs) That's because he broke up with me. Oh, I guess we're going to learn why. Yeah. We've been dating for just a couple of months in college. And during that time, I was very new to dealing with my endometriosis symptoms. And I was always crying. 
and I was always talking about my symptoms and talking about my pain, I realize now looking back that I never asked him about himself. I never asked him how his day was. I never showed any interest in him at all, really. It sounds like he might have needed to be single at that time. I'll agree with that because I realize looking back now that I really was in no place to nurture a relationship because I was having a hard time just taking care of myself and I wasn't able to give that love and attention to another person. But I didn't know that at the time. We've been dating for a couple of months and he let me know that he and I were breaking up and that he wanted to date someone who was going to take care of him and that Maybe he would look for someone who was majoring in nursing so that they would take care of him and he wouldn't be the person taking care of someone else the whole time. Ouch. Also, it's like, what a way to, I mean, so. Ouch. Goodbye, good riddance, you know, but like. But why can't you just say we're breaking up? Why do you have to twist the knife? Like, ooh. It's like, I don't want someone with a chronic illness. I want someone who's a nurse who takes care of people like you. Oh, my goodness. Okay. I just want to be taking care of somebody who can take care of people like me. I want a nurse, too. Can you hire me a nurse? Okay. I have so many unanswered questions and so many symptoms. Please, I really need a 24-7 caretaker. It would be so (laughs) wonderful if you could do that for me. Well, I think this simply shows the point that we have to invest in each other. And like we said, communication is a two-way street. And as much as we expect our partner to support and invest in us, we also have to support and invest in our partner. Well, what I think that I remember most looking back in hindsight about Those very difficult, dark years called college that I never, ever want to relive or wish on anyone else. I was a person at that time who I always took and I never gave back to the relationship. And I don't blame myself and I don't judge myself because I was going through a really, really difficult time with my symptoms and I was learning how to live with my endometriosis. And that is a feat in itself. And that can take years to learn to live with. It can take less time too, but in my case, it took years. So I can see how at that time, I, with my endometriosis, was draining. But I will tell you what, I have just as many health problems now as I had 16 years ago, but I don't consider myself draining now. And the people who are around me don't consider me draining because now I invest in my relationships and I invest in my loved ones the same way that I hope that they invest in me. When we talk about investing in them, do we mean like buying them some stocks, buying them some bonds, opening a 401k? What are we talking about when we say invest in your partner? I think we're talking about giving them our full attention. Oh, so not stocks and bonds. I think I came to the wrong podcast. Is this not the How to Grow Your Retirement Fund podcast? If it is, you should not be talking to us. Oh, no. I don't think we are qualified to give advice on that. So this is not the financial investing. This is the relationship investing. I'm back on track. Retirement funding got siphoned to improve my quality. bills. Improve the quality of life funding. All right. This makes more sense. I'll see myself out. To me, invest in another person means to really be present with them and to really give them your full attention. So to really listen, to show interest in the other person. 
I think one of the hardest things as a society we deal with today is the ever-distracting temptation of our cellular devices. Oh, I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? Because I was looking at my phone. I know. I saw you. (laughs) No, but the phone can be really distracting. It's a strong temptation that a lot of people struggle with. And being present with your partner means not being distracted by your friend texting you, then your parent texting you, then somebody else texting you, and this Instagram post coming up, and the notification that our podcast is now live. I mean, that one you can get distracted with, but the rest of them, you got to pay attention to your partner. Ask your partner about their day. Ask your partner how they're doing. Check in with your partner. If your partner tells you that they're nervous about a work presentation, ask them about it later when they get home. And sometimes we know it can be really hard to remember things because we have raging brain fog. Oh, yeah, the downfall of us all. <laughs> like we can't even remember if we put our <laughs> pants on and we have to like look down every two minutes and be like, oh, thank God. Yeah, that's relatable. Oh, uh, that's really relatable. Thank God I'm wearing pants. <laughs> oh, geez. But maybe we can take notes on our phone when our partner is talking and we can tell them, hey, I'm taking notes because it's really important to me to be able to ask you about this presentation later so that they understand you're not being distracted by your phone. You're actually intentionally using your phone as a tool to help the communication in your relationship. Or you can tell your partner, I may not remember to ask you later about your work presentation, but I am so interested. I'm so invested. And I want you to tell me about it when you come home. If I don't remember to ask you, it's not because I don't care. Just because the brain fog has taken hold of me. It's extra thick this morning. (laughs) Sometimes we really lament about the things that we can no longer do. Like, oh, my partner and I used to go out dancing, but now I'm really fatigued. My partner and I used to play chess, but now my brain fog prevents me from doing that. But showing interest in our partner is something that we can do with our partner It's a way that we can take care of our partner. It's a way that we can become closer to our partner in the relationship. And we can do this even if we are bedridden in pain. It's free. It takes very little effort for our fatigued bodies. And it makes the other person feel special and seen and loved. I think so many of us can remember a time, either in the past or now, a time when we're just desperate to be listened to, for somebody to hear us, for somebody to see us, for somebody to just allow us to talk freely and not judge us and comfort us. I think that's something that we all experience. But I know I'm guilty of forgetting that my partner also wants to be listened to as well. It's not just me who needs to be listened to. He also needs to be listened to. I need to pay him the same attention that I want paid to me. I need to give him the same shoulder to cry on that he gives to me. I should invite him to talk to me openly and without judgment and be able to support him and care for him and to share his joys and his frustrations and his triumphs and his sorrows just the way that I want to be able to share those with him. By making an effort to be 100% there and to 100% listen to your partner, and to ask them questions and allow them to speak about how they're feeling and what they're thinking is one of the best free gifts that we can give to each other. Of course, doing tasks for our partners or our partners doing them for us, like the dishes or going grocery shopping or taking care of children or doing a task that we're unable to do is such a wonderful display and gesture of support and care. 
But we may not always be able to do that for our partners if we're fatigued, if we're in pain, if we're experiencing a flare. But listening to them and showing them that we're interested in their lives and how they're feeling is something that we can do to help them feel like they're not alone and that we are appreciative of everything that they do and that they're seen. It was really interesting in my second divorce. I actually don't feel ashamed for having two divorces. I'm just like, whatever, like, I had a relationship that failed, and I learned something from it. And isn't that what life is about? It's about learning, taking risks, and going after what you love. And it's okay if it doesn't work out, and and it doesn't mean that you, quote unquote, failed. So even though we're kind of giggling, because maybe you're listening, you're like, I have two divorces or more. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) something I I don't even know. (laughs) Maybe. No, not me. The listeners listening. They're like, like, oh, my God, she's laughing at two divorces. I have five divorces. We're all Elizabeth Taylor a little bit. Okay. (laughs) I believe she's had seven. And of those seven, two of them were to the same man. Sometimes we're like, are you going to get married again? I'm like, If I find the right person, yeah, why wouldn't I? Like, I want a beautiful, happy relationship. So there's no shame in having a divorce or having two divorces. We just like to giggle about it. So when my second partner and I were talking about getting a divorce, which was actually something that I initiated in the relationship, and my partner brought out this book that I had made for us, maybe like a year into our relationship for Valentine's Day, I took the time to like make a little story about our love. And I made these, I'm a terrible, terrible at drawing, but I made these like stick figures and I labeled them Amy and then partner's name. And then I put at the top, once upon a time, there was a girl named Amy and she met this partner named blah, blah, blah. And I made like a little story about our love and how we met and all of the reasons why that I had fallen in love with him. It was in a notebook, so I decorated the cover, and it, I just made it look like a real book, and we kept it on our shelf, and every Valentine's Day, we would look at it together. And it was really interesting to me that when I was talking about how I thought that we should get a divorce, he pulled out that book that I made him, and he said, what about this book? What about our love together? And I was so touched that that comic book that I made about our love that I really didn't think meant much to him meant so much to him. And the point of this is that I realized that here I was living like in this world in my head where I thought that I was a burden and I was difficult on the relationship because of my illness. And he had been really focused on our beautiful moments together, on the love that we had together, on the good conversations that we had had. All the experiences that we had shared together, that was what was really prominent in his mind. Not all of the things that I thought limited me and as a consequence limited our relationship. And that was a really big wake-up call to me. Do you think it would have been useful if you had checked in with your partner about that much sooner? About how much love he had for the comic book? About what he was feeling compared to how you were feeling. Absolutely. I I shouldn't have waited until our relationship became so broken that it was difficult to be repaired. I wish that I had asked him more how he was feeling or what he needed from our relationship. Sometimes it's hard for our partners to communicate what they need, and we have to ask them. Maybe our partners want to spend time with their friends, but they don't want us to feel left out or sad. And maybe we wouldn't feel left out or sad. But again, that miscommunication is there. So we need to invite them to tell us that so we can clear those fears for them. 
Maybe they want to hire a caregiver for one day a week so that you can get extra care and they can also do some other tasks that they need to do. Maybe they want you to see a mental health professional, but they're not sure how to have that conversation. Maybe they want to see a mental health professional, but are too afraid of that stressing you out or feeling like they're a burden for you. So opening up this conversation and asking what they need and checking in with them can really help both partners to make sure they're getting the support that they need. I like what you mentioned about seeing a mental health professional because I think that having endometriosis can take a psychological toll and it can cause a lot of emotional distress on us and sometimes on our partners as well. And I think that for me, over the years, I've learned that attending to my mental health actually makes a huge difference, of course, in how I feel, but then additionally in how I show up in my relationship. I've mentioned before that I used to be a person who was really angry. I would scream at my partner when I was frustrated, and I would demand that my partner help me with this or help me with that. There were other times when I was so depressed that for weeks, all I wanted to do was disengage from the relationship and listen to music and just cry. And I think that it has helped me so much to learn how to work through my emotions and to learn different outlets for coping rather than to just take my emotions out on my partner. I think that the behavior that I used to have hurt my partner and hurt our relationships. And I'm not surprised that so many of my relationships didn't work out. For me, part of working on my mental health has been not only finding ways to work through strong emotions like rage or sadness, but also to find ways to be happy again, to have joy, to have meaning, to have purpose in my life. I think at the beginning when we get sick, it oftentimes So many of the things that we love are taken away from us. Our identity shatters. We have to relearn how to be okay. We have to learn how to integrate endo into our new identity. Learning to be happy again. Learning to be flexible with the unpredictability and the uncertainty of endometriosis. That has honestly done wonders for my relationship with myself with my life, with my endometriosis, and ultimately with my partner. Looking back at the person that I was in college and in my 20s, I was dealing with so much trauma from the experiences that I was having with endometriosis and the pain, and it was so heavy on me. But I had no idea at the time that a mental health professional could be of help to me. I didn't even know that that was an option. And I didn't know that it was something that I could be considering. And I'm so glad that now I realize that there are professionals out there that I can turn to when I'm in a moment that I am struggling. And I have turned to mental health professionals over these past few years, and it has honestly been life-changing for me. The final thing that we want to talk about is making or breaking plans. Keyword breaking plans. Yes, (laughs) exactly. When you have endometriosis, your body is unreliable. That doesn't mean that you're unreliable. But when you have frequent and spontaneous flares that you can't expect or prepare for, 
Hold on. Like, you mean if I suddenly sneeze and Mm -hmm. then I feel like my ovary exploded? Yes. Okay. Or like when you take a vitamin and now your entire intestines and stomach are turning into knots and you're doubled over in pain? What if I I just do nothing and then the dragon inside of me gets activated and it goes, I'm here, breathing fire? Yeah, that's all like what happens on a daily basis, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Then we're on the same page. Yeah, that dragon, you know, usually he's sleeping all day long. He's just snoozing, having a cat nap. Oh, he's so cute when he I sleeps. Know, You're little like, baby oh, dragon. he looks like one of the dragons in the movie How to Train Your Dragon. Oh, they're so sweet, little toothless. Oh, my Aww. goodness. He's little so baby dragon. purple with his little wings. <laughs> and he's just kind. And he's, you know, watching Netflix with you. And then you know, you're getting ready for your plans. So... He's still snoozing. You're feeling great. You get up to get ready, maybe do your hair or makeup, put on an outfit. You're still feeling great. You call your ride share, you get in your car, still feeling great. Now you're ready to get in the car. Your ride share's here and... And the dragon wakes up and he slams three Red Bulls. And I don't mean three coffees, I mean three Red Bulls right on the spot. And he's all hyped up and he's like, hello! But more like this, hello! Where are you going? I didn't tell you could go anywhere. I didn't authorize anything. You and I have plans to watch Netflix. Well, I guess I'm going nowhere now. That's right. I don't know what you were thinking trying to make plans without my permission. <laughs> Nobody asked me. You didn't I'm ask me. I'm the boss up in here. Get it right. We know, Red Dragon. We know. But when that happens, that's not our fault. When we have to then reach out to our friends and say we're not able to come, having to cancel is not our fault. We shouldn't feel guilty about having to cancel when our body is going through something like that. We don't have to feel like we've disappointed people or that we're failures because it has nothing to do with us as a person. Wait, you talked about this earlier. You said, oh, separate yourself from the situation. And you don't have to make it all about you, i.e. me. I don't don't have to make it all about me. Mm -hmm. Mm, So I can cancel, but that doesn't mean that I am a disappointment. And I think give responsibility where responsibility is due. The dragon made me cancel. Yes, we are not responsible for having to cancel plans because of our endo. You tell your friend or your partner who you're canceling on, it's not me. It's the dragon inside of me. Sounds fantastical. I should always say that. (laughs) But as much as we can't take responsibility for what endo does in our bodies, we can take responsibility for how we react to that and how we cancel the plans. Obviously, we can't just never break plans again. Our bodies won't allow us to do that. Yeah, that's the best way to save your relationship, Brittany. (laughs) Going to the ER after your plans because you push through anyway. (laughs) Never break plans again. You're like, ooh, ooh, stabbing pain in my anus. No, I'm going to do it anyway. I must push through. No, that's not a good plan. You Don't shot do- your partner's like, you have a really weird, like, tension look on your face. Like, no, no, this is my new smile. This is my face. It's yeah, how it is. Everything's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I that's twitch. not a good plan. I twitch. We don't recommend that. So what do you recommend, Brittany? How should I manage all these plans you're talking about? Me having plans. <laughs> I am your plans. Hilarious. I think step one is to always evaluate the plans you're making wisely. This is a really hard step because it involves being honest with ourselves and being realistic with how much we actually can do versus how much we want to do. It can be really sad to come to the realization that we can't join our friends at that event or we can't do this plan with our partner because of the things our red dragons like or do not like. 
For example, your friends and partner invite you to a dinner party, and your calendar says it's a few days before your dragon flies to town. Chances are really high you're going to be debilitated in pain that week or feeling very sick, and you won't be able to go. So you have to evaluate your plan and be honest with yourself. Okay, wait, so you're saying I shouldn't just be like, oh my god, yes, I will totally be there and I will bring dessert for everyone. Oh, wow. You're ambitious. (laughs) And champagne. (laughs) Oh, wow. Very ambitious. I think that's what we want to do. We want to join all our friends for the very exciting dinner party and make a dessert and champagne. But realistically, we have to say, it's very likely I'd have to cancel those plans. It's very unlikely I'd be able to go anyways. So what you're saying is know thyself. Yes. And don't overcommit thyself. Yes, because if you so that overcommit, you don't break plans exactly. with exactly the others. <laughs> they self. Thy others. Thine selves. <laughs> Thy partner's self. <laughs> but yes, without all the Elizabethan speak. Yes, if you overcommit yourself and you always say yes, then you have to break more plans than you want to break. So if we're honest and we only commit to things that we know we'll be able to do, then we don't have to cancel so often. Something I've learned that has really helped strengthen my relationship with my partner and my friends as well is that when I have to cancel plans because my red dragon is breathing fire all along my insides and I'm just unable to attend the plans that I committed to, It's been really helpful to put myself in the shoes of the person that I'm canceling on. When I was younger, I would send off these quick texts to my partner. We would have dinner plans and I would realize I wouldn't be able to go because I'd be in the bathroom with diarrhea and I'd be really upset about it and I'd be feeling really guilty and I'd be feeling really awful and like a disappointment and like a failure. And I would just text off this quick, I'm sick, I can't make it, I'm sorry. So the funny thing is, is that I cared so deeply deeply that I was canceling the plans, I would be at home beating myself up about the fact that I didn't get to go out. I would be feeling awful. But the thing is, my quick, I'm sorry, I can't make it text wasn't conveying the fact that I was really disappointed that we weren't going to be able to see each other. What I learned is that instead of letting my really aggressive oftentimes violent, self-critic, judging voice in my head who loves to nitpick every single thing that I do. Does anyone else have that voice in their head? Sounds familiar. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, I think I have that voice in my head, but in my own voice. Hmm. (laughs) The voice in my head is your voice. (laughs) But what I learned is that instead of beating myself up about it, if I just put that same effort that I put into beating myself up, into showing my partner or my friends that they're important to me, it really helped my relationships. So now if I have to cancel plans, I take the time to really write a longer message or even a quick call on the phone and I let them know, I am so sorry that I'm canceling our plans. I understand that it's last minute. I'm really not feeling good and I'm not able to make it. I know we were both so excited to see each other. Or maybe if my partner had made dinner reservations, I let them know the same thing. I'm so sorry I'm canceling last minute. You went through the effort to make these plans that now we're not going to be able to attend. 
So just I really acknowledge the fact that although I'm not able to go, I was excited about going because the last thing I want my friend to think is that I'm just using my illness as an excuse to not go to our plans. I want my friend or my partner to really understand these plans and you as a person and this relationship, it's important to me. But just unfortunately, Red Dragon thinks he's the most important thing in the room. How typical of him. So we all have to bow down to his needs. And if we end up canceling on a plan, like, unfortunately, I couldn't go with my partner to his Christmas party because I was on my period. And so while he was at the party, I was texting him, how's the party? Oh, I wish I could have been there with you. Send me a selfie because you look so cute in your tie because it was formal dress. You know, so just showing that continued interest that Brittany and I talked about to show that you do wish that you could be there. But without all that guilt or disappointment or I'm a failure speak happening in your mind, don't have that speak. No calling yourself a failure. No saying you're a disappointment because you're not. You're not a failure and you're not a disappointment. You know who's a disappointment? Me? No. Oh, just established. We are not the disappointment. I I know. I just wanted to like give that last validation. Yeah, cross check there. You are not a disappointment. Red Dragon is a disappointment. Oh, my God. It's just come to me. How the Red Dragon became so angry and breathed so much fire, I bet he tried out for the movie How to Train Your Dragon, but I bet he didn't win the role, obviously, because he wasn't in the movie. He was cut. (gasps) And he got so angry and he got so bitter and he got so resentful and he was like, I have to go find a place. No one will ever train me ever again. This makes so much sense. Seriously, right? Science should look into this, honestly. He's like, you will never train me. I'm like, I know I'll never train you. <laughs> You're the boss. I swear I understand. <laughs> yes, Red Dragon, yes. So one of the five reasons we talked about in the beginning that was a major factor in many relationships not working out was the lack of quality time with a partner. So if you end up having to cancel plans on your partner, a way to show them that you still want to spend time with him and you're still interested is to make new plans with them. Make plans that work around your schedule, that work around your dragon. Then they'll know that you really do want to spend time with them and you weren't canceling and using the illness as an excuse. It also creates a bond between you and your partner, them knowing that you want to spend time with them, and validates that when you cancel plans, it's because it's serious. That's a really useful thing for your partner to understand. Okay, Brittany, so I cancel my plans with my partner, and then I'm like, hey, can I pencil you in on Friday morning to wash my hair? Um, okay, and then I'm like, ooh, can I pencil you in on Friday afternoon to clean up the puke bucket when I'm pretty sure I'm going to be puking because that's the day my period is going to come? Ooh, and then can I pencil you in on Saturday morning to make my breakfast for me and then clean up the dishes? And also, could you vacuum a little? Because it's kind of dusty in here. Uh, no. That's not a quality. That's not a quality plan. That's not quality. No. Oh. Ooh, now I am. Oh, so I'm I know. I, I have to blow all your mind. All of my, the reason for my divorce is they're really <laughs> like coming, clear coming now. together in my mind right now. <laughs> What I mean by quality plan is when you had to cancel attending the Christmas party with your partner, what you could do when your period was over, when Red Dragon had gone back to sleep for a couple minutes. organize a personal Christmas party for my boyfriend. I mean, you could have done that. That sounds really tiring. Or do a Christmas movie marathon at home with your partner. Or do something Christmassy like baking cookies for them. (gasps) Or decorating ornaments. Or singing carols with the cat. 
Always with the cats. Oh, I mean with my partner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I forgot who was the partner here and who, <laughs> okay. who wasn't. Yeah. But find some way to still have that experience with them. If you have to cancel dinner plans, maybe you make plans with them to come over for dinner instead. So Jingle you meow. Wow, and she keeps going. Jingle meow. It's Jingle, not even Christmas time. Meow. Tuna mommy. Oh, <laughs> she's going to leave that in. I just know it. <laughs> okay, sorry. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We get it. Make quality plans. Watch movies. Listen to music. You should be do, listening to this. You're the one with the two divorces. Can, yeah, yeah. I already know. Do whatever you can do within the, you know, limitations of your body. So maybe you just like. You're on the toilet having diarrhea, and he's sitting next to you in a lazy boy recliner in the bathtub. And you two are holding hands, and you two put a TV in the bathroom. I have and so many questions. And that's how you spend so many your Friday night. How One, how big is this bathroom? <laughs> Two, how did you get the lazy boy in the bathtub? Three... Sitting next to somebody while they're pooing is not quality time. You need to reorganize your priorities. Can you listen? I said holding hands. While pooing. That's quality time. No. Wait till you're done pooing. Then do that. What if you're never done, Brittany? Okay, well, then the plans can be the next day. Remember, we said be realistic about the plans okay. you can make. He wears an oxygen mask while you're in the bathroom. Okay, maybe. It's up to you and your partner. I don't know how freaky you are. <laughs> That's your own business. <laughs> Whatever is quality to you, it's quality to you. <laughs> we hope that you've learned something from these stories today, something useful, something to help you grow, something that helps your relationships to not end in divorce like Amy's. Twice. Two divorces like <laughs> Amy's. <laughs> As we said, it's really challenging to have relationships, and they always say that relationships are really hard work. And I think sometimes in relationships, we don't remember that. And then when we get sick, since we have endometriosis, it kind of brings light to the fact that, oh my gosh, like relationships are not easy and they are hard work, but they're hard work for everyone, whether the couple has a chronic illness or one of them has endometriosis or not. So I think for me, I've just been really working on how to have a good relationship, not only with my partner, but with myself and also with my endometriosis, because I think all of these go hand in hand. I really think that if I get married again, if both me and my partner are open to many of the tips that we talked about today, if we're both willing to put in the effort and the work of having good communication, of being honest and open and vulnerable with each other and putting ourselves in each other's shoes to really think empathetically about what the other person is facing, what the other person could be feeling, what the other person could be needing. I really think that all of these tips can really help strengthen a relationship. And I certainly know that it's been strengthening my relationship. And I really do think that my third marriage, if it happens, will not end in divorce. Because is it legal yet to marry your cat? No, and that will never be legal. Well, how do you know? You don't know what the government's going to do in the future. Because bestiality is wrong and your cat cannot give consent. <laughs> and I know I've said it like five times so far, but I want to say it again. We are all worthy of love just the way we are. We thank you so much for listening today. And we would love if you reached out to us. Let us know if you're in a relationship with your cat. Okay. Um... <laughs> 
We're going to have to report Amy. (laughs) (laughs) I just love her so much. She's my little precious angel baby. she's your baby. It's okay. She's my baby. But no, I'm not in a relationship with my cat, so please no one worry. We'd love for you to reach out to us to let us know how your relationship is going. Or, of course, anytime that you need to be reminded that you're worthy of love, we are more than happy to give you that reminder because, Brittany, we are all worthy of love just the way we are. We are on Instagram at in 16 years of endo. And don't forget, you can also share our podcast. Yeah, share us. Share us and tag us. Sharing is caring. Oh, yes, it is. (laughs) Care about us. (laughs) No, it's caring about other people, Amy. Oh, shoot. We care about you. (laughs) No, we really do care about you. The reason we share is so other people can join our community and learn from us. Oh, Amy just gets really excited seeing the in 16 years being shared. I thought it was a popularity contest. No, no, dear. (laughs) Okay. Well, if it was, would I be winning? Uh, No, I don't think we would be. Oh, shucks. <laughs> but you're the most popular to me, okay? Thank you. And I'm also the most popular red dragon. <laughs> yeah. All right. You got me there. <laughs> In addition to sharing us everywhere. Which is you, caring. Yes. Okay, you can going. also rate us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. And finally, if you'd like to financially add to the management of this podcast. We're hiring. No, just kidding. <laughs> Sounds like, right? (laughs) But you can contribute to how much it costs to run the podcast on our support page on our website. Thanks so much for listening. 